From KYW News Radio, the Delaware Valley's news authority, this is Flashpoint. What's igniting debate online and in your community? I'm KYW Community Affairs reporter Cherry Gregg, and we'll run through the big issues of the week that are getting folks hot under the collar. Coming up... Students of color are victims of bias and hate on Philadelphia area college campuses. I ain't come to school to get judged on my color. It's just like eye-opening. Is this a trend? People who are out there committing these kinds of acts feel emboldened. Hear the stats from local advocates and why the newest generation of victim is refusing to keep quiet. He's the newly appointed leader of Philadelphia civilian police watchdog. The criticism that PAC has no teeth, something that exists in almost every city that has an oversight agency. His agenda, biggest challenges, and the latest efforts by the city to provide support. Welcome back to Flashpoint. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. The focus is hate on college campuses. In recent weeks, multiple African-American students at Temple University found a banana on their dorm room door. And an African-American Cabrini University student came home to her Radnor dorm to find the word go away N-word written on her door. That student spoke to CBS 3 Eyewitness News. I was angry and I was shocked. And in that moment, I stopped. I kind of gather myself so that I handle the situation correctly. Is the uptick in hate and bias a trend in our area? Students from Cabrini and Temple weigh in. I didn't feel protected. If that's where it starts, where else does it lead to? A lot of people have been coming together and working to make sure that other people feel safe. With us to discuss this flashpoint in the news, I have in the studio Nancy Baron Bear of the Anti-Defamation League of Philadelphia, Rue Landau, Executive Director of the Philadelphia Commission on Human Relations, and Madison Brown, a Temple University freshman who recently was a victim of an act of hate on campus. Thank you all for appearing on Flashpoint. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I want to start with you, Rue. Have we seen an uptick in the city in the number of hate crimes or hate acts of hate? We have seen a big upturn in Philadelphia on acts of hate and bias incidents. You know, as you know, uh, an actual hate crime, you have to be committing a crime with the mental intent of bias or prejudice. Not everybody is caught when they're doing these bad acts. And so we often will just have people reporting to us bias incidents as well, where something happened, but it might not rise to the level of a hate crime. And Since November of 2016, we actually have 94 reported incidents to our office. It's a tremendous upturn um, from years past. So what is triggering this, Nancy? Uh, Certainly, there is no question that some of the people who are out there committing these kinds of acts feel emboldened. They feel that whereas what they might have been doing or thinking or uh, processing in the past was something they needed to keep more to themselves or to their friends. They now feel that it's okay to be out in the public, out in the open, and proclaiming their beliefs or acting on them in ways that are very, very destructive. And Madison, freshman at Temple University, I want to give you a special thank you for being here to talk about this. Tell us what happened to you and to your roommates. A banana was placed on our dorm uh, door handle, and we are the only room on the floor that is an entirely black room. There are three other um, black people on our floor, 
but it is not an entirely black room. So as soon as um the as soon as my roommates came back from the grocery store, uh, I was not there. They FaceTimed me and showed me the banana. And my first instinct was, well, who put this there? Because I know it's just not a coincidence. We called our RA and they went through like the procedures. They filed a police report and everything. And as of right now, he's been identified. Um, but we are still waiting to go through a student code of conduct. And they also filed a police report with the Philadelphia Police Department. How did it make you feel? Being a minority at a PWI, I would think something would happen to me, but I was upset that it was as direct as something being put on my door handle. Some people don't understand why a banana on a doorknob is a big deal, given some of the slurs referring to African-Americans as animals, specifically monkeys. Mm-hmm. Having a banana is on your doorknob is considered a racial slur. I just wanted to clear that up in case some of our listeners are saying, what's the big deal? And so, Nancy, go right ahead. These kind of incidents are not limited to the college scene. We have seen reports in the newspaper, and we at ADL have worked with school districts in the area, not directly in Philadelphia, but in our region, where, for instance, uh, a young woman uh, who is a cheerleader was called a lesbian and told to kill herself. The N-word was thrown around, dirty Mexicans, crackers. Some were told they would be killed at school. This is a high school. At another uh, area high school, there were accusations of racial tension and there were brutal fights. So while it may have become the norm, sadly, this was not the norm a few years ago. And so, Madison, I want to go back to you. The student who committed this act did reach out to you guys. Is that true? He did. He confessed to the Temple Police Department. And then he came over and wanted to apologize to all of us. Any explanation for why he did this? He said that he dropped the banana and he tossed it and it simply landed on our door handle. And he said also that he did not know what like a banana and black people and that, that negative connotation it has. And so when we told him, he was like, wow, I really didn't know. I'm really sorry. And um, he happens to be of Asian descent. I told him, I said, I'm, minorities are supposed to stick together. But he said he was not in touch with his roots. And so that just showed all of us that he, he just, it was, he's ignorant. Wow. And it just goes to show, I mean, there can be acts of bias or slurs towards people for a number of different reasons. Absolutely. The number of anti-Semitic incidents have, has risen tremendously. Slurs against immigrants, perceived immigrants, LGBT individuals, all of the categories have gone up. Yeah. And I just want to say, I, I went to college in the late 90s, early 2000s. And when I was going to school, you just didn't say anything. You let it go. But now young people are speaking up. Do you think, Rue, that maybe people just aren't tolerating it? Or do you feel like there are many incidents that still go unreported? Oh, I'm sure there's a lot of incidents that go unreported. But I do think people are speaking up more. And one of the reasons why is because it's so scary watching what's happening uh, in our city and around the country. Was this a conscious decision for you and your roommates to speak up? Three out of the four of us thought that this is our like opportunity to educate people because some people might actually just not know. And also, a lot of times, people will let things go, especially Black people. They'll let let it pass over. They'll say, oh, okay, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. But we're not letting that happen. As we wrap things up, is speaking up and pushing 
the envelope so that people know you cannot do this. Is this the way? We hope. I, I do think that this is the way. I think that anytime something happens to you, you should always speak up on it. You know, students at, at an early age are now part of a lot of programs so that hopefully the next generation or this generation, Madison's generation, is learning not only to speak up for themselves, but what we also hope is that people will befriend those that have been harmed, that they will be allies to them. That's equally important. Could we all, in a collective way, turn this around? Certainly we hope so. I can tell you that there are many ways for people to stand up for themselves, and I agree with the concept of speaking up for others. Rue? You shouldn't wait for someone else to organize something for you to be a part of. You know, this is exactly when we need your energy and your efforts to help pull people together, help them get to know each other. Definitely. Last word, Madison. Every time you have a chance to speak up, speak up. And I just say stay educated and stay woke. Stay woke. All right. So I just want to say thank you uh, to our guests, uh, Nancy Baron-Bayer, Rue Landau, and Madison Brown. Thank you so much for being on Flashpoint. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Next up, our newsmaker of the week is the newly appointed leader of Philadelphia's police watchdog agency. I'm very optimistic about what we can help. His top priorities and plans to make the agency more effective. This is Flashpoint, where we talk about the issues that get everyone hot and bothered. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg, and during the past year, Philadelphia's Police Advisory Commission has been mired in controversy following the resignation of its former leader over allegations of an inappropriate sexual relationship. In August, Mayor Jim Kenney announced a new leader for the agency, Hans Manos. It comes in just weeks after City Council President Daryl Clark proposed changes that would give the commission more money and hope Hopefully more independence. Hans, welcome to Flashpoint. Hi, Cherry. Thanks for having me. So you started early this month, just a few days ago. Yeah, I started October 2nd. So yeah. uh, it's about a, a little over a week now. Yeah. How's it been so far? I'm very optimistic about what we can accomplish here. What have you been hearing about what's going on with the commission and, and how do you see your role? There's some conversation about changing the direction of the commission uh, back to more of an investigatory model. Uh, right now, we're focusing on policy and practice. There's mm-hmm. an executive order uh, that was signed in January which is uh, fairly clear in that regard that tells us that we are uh, best suited focusing on issues related to the policy and practice of the, the PPD as they affect, in my opinion, the police, the police community relations. Yeah. And so a lot of the big criticisms was, has been the effectiveness of the Police Advisory Commission. Do you feel like you have some power over there? You know, the, the criticism that uh, the PAC has no teeth is something that exists in almost every city that has an oversight agency, right? We have a lot of conversation both in major cities like New York and Chicago to small municipalities. Um, and the idea is that the police uh, in most areas are, have the ability to, for want of a better phrase, police themselves. And not, not many oversight boards have the ability to, for instance, dismiss officers or to have all of the say in what happens in, in cases of off- officer Discipline. Let's talk about your background a little bit and how mm-hmm. it will 
connect to what you are slated to do here at the PAC? Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm a social worker by, uh, by education, by training. And most, most recently, I worked in New York City um, for Safe Horizon, which is the largest victim services agency in the country. And I worked with the, in a partnership with the New York City Police Department. Um, and prior to that, I worked in juvenile justice. That was a really impactful experience for me. Uh, I worked with young men who were largely um, black and Latino, marginalized, and from one, some of the uh, un- most underserved areas of New York City. Yeah, and so while you have not worked specifically in, you know, this type of commission capacity, you do have a lot of familiarity with people who have those types of feelings. Certainly. I've interfaced directly with police leadership and police personnel, everyone from a frontline officer to a commissioner or deputy commissioner, I should say. Uh, And and to your point, I've also interfaced with a lot of just victims of crime and people who have been processed through the criminal justice system. Yeah. Now you're from New York lives and live in Jersey. I'm from New York uh, and I live in Jersey City now. Yes. In Philadelphia, you probably have heard we've had we had a, a number of police involved shootings mm-hmm. over the years. And the police advisory commission was where citizens looked to investigate these. Mm-hmm. I know that investigations is tough because you guys have a very small staff. This is part of our work moving forward to make everyone help everyone understand uh, what our role is. And it's not to be a, the primary investigator. The police are the ones who uh, have to investigate issues first. They have the opportunity to audit those investigations. So what that practically looks like is a complaint or an issue occurs. The police have a set time period which they can ask for extensions about uh, over before they ultimately close the investigation, and then we receive it. So that could mean that we receive a closed investigation months after, maybe even a year after uh, an issue occurred, and therefore... Going back and auditing that and looking at, at that specific incident is, pro- is difficult and problematic. Also, you know, the PPD has roughly 100 investigators in their internal affairs division. Our staff is, is significantly smaller than that. Six people, including you, right? right that's correct. Right. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's difficult to do when, you're, when, when the resource allocation is such that there's 100 people putting out reports. There's only three that are digesting. Yeah, because currently, I think your budget is at 400 grand. The Home Rule Charter Amendment that would go before voters would make it 500 grand. But I've heard back when Mayor Nutter was in office, discussions that it should be around a million to a million and a half. That would be a, a much improved way of looking at things. Uh, if we look at um, what it costs to run an organization and what it costs to have folks that, for instance, are able to digest, analyze, code, clean data, for instance. That's, that's a skill and a talent that doesn't come cheap and doesn't come easy. And so, you know, those are the types of things, uh, as, when I say resources, that I, that I think will be important in the coming months and years. Yeah. So you have a whole new slate of commissioners. What's the current status of, of, of you kind of building those relationships? Our first, uh, our open meeting, I should say, is this coming Monday, the 16th. It's going to be at Central High School, um, which is 1700 West only. Um, and I will meet the commissioners, uh, well, all the ones that can be present. We have a few that have other you know, pressing issues that they can't be present for this, for this first meeting. Uh, the meeting's from 6.30 to 8 for the public, uh, and we'll meet before that. So I'll be having a close, our first closed meeting with the commission uh, on that date. I have, of course, met with uh, Rhonda, who's the chair of the commission, and I've met with um, a couple of other commissioners in the interview process. All right, check out the website, phila.gov backslash PAC, and uh, good luck to you. I appreciate that. Thanks, Chair, for your time.
Next up, she's shooting hoops for a cause. I would go to all these games through the summer, but it will always be a lot of men's basketball tournaments. I'll tell you what this young innovator is collecting and who she's hoping to inspire. This is Flashpoint, and I'm your host, Cherry Gregg, and we here at KYW are all about community, and this week, it is all about Hoops for Hygiene. It's a multifaceted effort designed to help women and girls, and in the studio with me is Ebony Lavone, the founder of this initiative. Welcome to the KYW Studios. Hey, how are you? Thank you for having me. What is Hoops for Hygiene? So Hoops for Hygiene basically is a foundation that advocates for women in sports. We educate young girls and women on um, sicknesses related to hygiene. And then uh, we do all this through collecting toiletries. Wow. And so, and I understand that girls are actually hooping. Yes, we are hooping. I'm actually playing this year. So it's going to be fun. It's going to be at Manor College. And uh, it's going to be little baby girls, 6 to 12. And then the millennial plus, like so we're, talk- we're talking 17 plus in age. So it's a family fun day. But ultimately, we're showing the guys who really want it, run it on a basketball court. When did you start this and why did you start it? The first time I did it was in 2014. started because going through as a basketball player, I played college ball. I would go to all these games over the summer, but it would always be a lot of men's basketball tournaments and just things that refer to the men, to the guys. So I said, dang, someone needs to do something for girls. So I came up with the idea to do the three-on-three girls game. I always make sure that I do stuff with purpose. And so I reached out to this other organization that was collecting toiletries at the time, and we collaborated to collect all the toiletries, and we gave it to them. So ultimately, we had about 200-plus toiletries that we were able to give them, and they gave out across the United States. Wow. How did that make you feel? Tired. (laughs) (laughs) And joyful. It's it's, it's, no joyful. Joyful, of course. But, you know, it's a lot when you're putting together something of this magnitude and trying to get people to see a vision that you just know is going to work. And, you know, some people are like, well, I'm not sure about that. Or, you know, I'm excited about it. And the fun thing about this year was no one's telling me no. So now I'm more tired. But I am so blessed and I feel so good to be able to have so many people just like, yes, we're on board. What do you need us to do? Do you see yourself as a role model? Yes, I do. I'm the oldest child. so Yeah. And I've seen you out in the community doing all sorts of things, always in a positive way. So it's no wonder that you would create another opportunity um, to spread that positivity to young women. Yeah. So tell people where can they buy tickets? They can support you. Donate some hygiene products. So Hoops for Hygiene is actually a free basketball game. All you have to do is donate toiletry items. Um, it's not. I'm not really looking for the profit side of it. I just really want to collect as many toiletries as possible, give them out through the holidays, and then have some more to give out, you know, in the beginning of uh, 2018. And then we'll have more events in the meantime for that. So you can continue to find information on Hoops for Hygiene on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. It's at Hoops for Hygiene, and it's with the number four. Um, the website is up. That's at that's info. That's www.hoopsforhygiene.com. Check it out. What's the date? October 29th. What kind of toiletries? Toothbrush, uh, toothpaste, mouthwash, sanitary wipes, cotton swabs, and everything has to be unopened. Shampoo? Yes, conditioner, um, even body sprays. If you're willing to go the extra mile, those work as well. Wonderful. Um, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Well, that's it for Flashpoint. Follow KYW News Radio on Twitter and let us know what you think by using the hashtag Flashpoint. 
You can also follow me at Cherry Gregg. If there's an issue that makes you hot under the collar, let us know and we'll walk you through the flames. As Martin Luther King Jr. once said, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. Until next week, thanks for listening.